to have you here today. Welcome all our guests. Thank you, Ken. All my elders, don't forget we're we're going to eat tomorrow night together. My spouse is, uh, I think, 6 o'clock, isn't it? That's what we're supposed to be. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to the Feast of Tabernacles. That doesn't have anything to do with eating, okay? Uh, I want to thank Marta for, for handling those flyers and doing that. Marta Hardy did that. Wave your hand, sweetheart, so you know. <laughs> hey, man, she did an awesome job. And uh, she had her company, somebody in, in the graphic design to do that. And uh, actually, she did three, and they were all beautiful. I just told her, I said, you please just pick it out, the one you want. <laughs> and uh, she really has encouraged me to, uh, to do that. We, we hadn't done it since the COVID uh, deal, and even probably uh, a year before that. But we're excited to get back together on that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. And uh, that is actually a set time on God's calendar. And if you don't know what that means, don't think it's something weird. Uh, but you'll understand it. The Sunday prior to that starting actually starts on Sunday this year on the 9th. Uh, we always do a teaching and show you how God has always operated according to those times that he set and to those feasts. And the word feast in the Hebrew just means an appointed time. And, uh, you know, it's okay for us to have the Gregorian calendar that we use, but God don't work off of that one. Amen? He works off of a different one. Uh, today, I want to talk to you. We're just entitling this The Discovery of Grace. And, of course, we talk about grace because when we talk about grace, we're talking about who? Jesus. Grace is not a teaching. It's not a doctrine. It's not a theology. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And that's why we uh, call this place Grace Point as uh, Ken uh, said this morning, grace is the point. Jesus is the point. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, didn't we enjoy Eddie and Beth Taylor last weekend? We enjoyed having those guys, and uh, we got to hang out with them. And I hadn't seen them, I guess, and probably to hang out with them in over 10 uh, years. So it was good to, uh, to get together with them. And it's good for me to see the progression that, that uh, in the grace message that he has made. And it just seems like I'm seeing so many people that are really, you know, getting hold of this. When I talk about discovery of grace, you know, I, I want to take, for the sake of time, I would like to sometime, but I'm not going to do it today. Uh, a lot of times I get questions, you know, because people that have known me, I've been preaching for over 34 years. Uh, and uh, I've, been doing, I've been at this a while now. I know I don't look it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, and it's been a, a journey, and I'm still on it. Uh, I wish I had known at 20 years old or even younger how good God really was. Uh, I am an atheist, uh, according to the God that they introduced me to. See, that shocked you, didn't it? Boy, you, I, I saw the face. In other words, the God that people told me was the God, I no longer believe in him because that was, not, that was a fictitious religious God that was made up in the minds of darkened-hearted men. And that's not who God is at all, and God's never been that. Uh, I always thought that I was convinced, even in preaching for, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, really almost a couple of decades, I guess the big change for me happened probably, uh, I'm going to say 12 years ago, dramatically. And, uh, and again, it's too, too long to get into it, but, but I just was going through a lot of things in my life. Uh, it wasn't that God was doing anything to me, I thought he was. Uh, the the uh, 
a lot of things had gone on. We had put our uh, property up for sale. We had a, a, I guess you could call it almost a farm slash ranch, whatever. I raised my kids there, and we had 30 acres. And and we at one time we had about every animal that you can name. We had chickens. We had horses. We had cows. Uh, we had goats. Uh, and uh, I come home from church one day, and all the goats had gotten out and were standing on the back porch looking in the in the house. Uh, I came home another time, and they were uh, at my neighbor's yard uh, devouring her flowers, and she called and requested my presence. And uh, that's when I loaded them up and carried them back where I got them from and got rid of them. But my kids wanted them. And, uh, and so we, we enjoyed doing that. Uh, but we had put our house up for sale. Jennifer Strachner, so sweet. Uh, I, you know, at that time, when I put my house up for sale, I never even heard of her. And this just goes to show you that God has favor on your lives. I just opened the Valdosta Times. Back in those days, it was Prudential uh, Real Estate. They had a whole line of agents. You know, their pictures, the little mug shots, you know, I call them, had all these pictures. And there was multiple agents. But something drew me to her. And so I just picked her out of the pile and called her, and uh, she, along with another lady, came to my house. And one of the first things Jennifer said was, I know you. She said, you've preached at my church. And, of course, it was here and known as Southland at that time, and I had preached here. And, uh, and I didn't even realize that or know that. And, uh, Jill, would you have my water, baby? Uh, I don't want this sermon to be dry, so. <laughs> but. I say that to encourage you that no matter what kind of business you're in, you know, God can send folks to you. God's for you. And, uh, but about the time that we had our house appraised to put it up for sale, the economy crashed. And uh, my house was not worth near what the appraiser certified that it would be. And there were just a lot of things going on that, that, uh, uh, that we were uh, moving in uh, financially. And... Uh, and things went really bad quick. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm God's kid. He's going to, you know, deliver me out of all this. And, and, and it was financially. And how many knows that's a lot of pressure on you? And uh, so it didn't happen like I thought, and it didn't happen when I thought. And as time went along, and this is, I'm trying to, this is, you know, it went on about six years, okay? But I was uh, really hurting. Uh, I was getting angry with God. I know you've never been mad with him, but I have a couple of times. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we needed to sell our home, our property. And I realized that a lot of people, I had 30 acres. I had a creek that went through it. I had two ponds. I had a beautiful little cabin that was set up on stilts that I actually built for the ministry. I'd only, I ever only spent one night in that thing uh, all the years that I had it. But preachers spent many nights. Pastor Keith knows that. We'd hold meetings down there, elders meetings and, and uh, I would let any preacher that was in my network, uh, we had churches all the way from Savannah and all this whole south uh, east Georgia area, and I would let those pastors and those, those ministers come and just, you know, get a break and hang out. And, and, uh, and of course, my elders here, well, they know we had several meetings there, and, and it was just a great, great place to hang out. Um, and I knew that a lot of people weren't looking for that kind of a property, you know, but, but I figured somebody would. And for all those years, it just seemed like I couldn't give it away. <laughs> and uh, people would come and say, hey, man, you need to change real estate agents. That ain't got jack to do with it, y'all. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my wife's in real estate now, so I had to had to do that for her. Uh, it ain't, you know, so there just was nobody coming. I told you one time, I got so frustrated. If I stood out there by the road and said, free house, you know, people would just shoot me a bird and ride right on by. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, that's how I felt. And it just wasn't happening. And, uh, and then we had a guy that was going to buy it, said he was going to buy it, you know, and, and, and he came and loved it, loved everything. And, and we, you know, we settled on a, on a, a price and went through the process. We thought it was going to be a done deal. Knew there was some issues in his past financially. But all those was supposed to be cleared up. It didn't happen. And uh, we, you know, that, that really, man, we thought it was going to happen this time. A year later, the guy, same guy comes back and says, we got it all fixed. Man, God's in this. I'm fixing to buy your house. Now, I mowed 18 acres uh, on that place, so obviously I had a tractor. And, <laughs> and I loved it. It was fun. And, but when my kids got grown, it, it got where it wasn't near as fun because it had no help. And, uh, and me and my dad, we had cows. He had land 30 acres right that bordered mine. We run cows on both of it. And, you know, I loved all that stuff, still do. Um, but uh, the guy comes back a year later, and we were praying. And every month, I'm just telling you, I felt like I was drowning financially. And I'm like, God, won't you help a brother out here to get all this off of me? You know, everything I'd done, I was trying to do, and really, you know, just, I don't want to go in detail, but I was trying to move in kingdom things and, and help out and, and just do things. And I'm not talking about a little bit of money. I'm talking about, you know, big money. And, uh, and I just needed God to come through, and it just seemed like he wasn't. And, uh, and so the guy comes back, and my hopes were really, you know. Actually, the, I remember one time we had changed the sign out because it, it about done rusted in the ditch, and that's the truth. The, they brought me a new sign, you know. And uh, I'd have people, you know, always in those six years, always trying to tell me, you know, believe God, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'm thought, I'm God's kid. Why don't he send somebody? I know he's got somebody who's got some money. We want this, you know, place. And I'm just drowning here. And I just don't understand why he won't help me. And I was disappointed about some other things that didn't succeed, uh, that, w that we were invested in, that I thought that God would help succeed, and they didn't. And it just hurt, man. And so here this guy comes back. I'm, I'm, okay, it's all done. We're going to do it this time. Blah, blah, whatever. And I prayed a stupid prayer. And I hope you can just learn from my mess and not repeat it, okay? That's why I tell some of this stuff. But so I had this nice little John Deere tractor, you know, and everything that I used to mow that property with. And, uh, and I prayed this prayer. This is a stupid prayer. Don't pray like this, but I know some of you do, so I'm trying to help you. I said, Lord, now, you know, you're real smart and I'm real stupid. Uh, I know you know everything and I don't. And so you know if this is going to go through this time or not. And if it is, then I just pray that this man that's going to come look at my tractor will buy it. And if he buys it, then I'll take that as a sign from you that the deal's going to go through this time, and it's, it's going to be done. Anybody ever prayed a stupid prayer? like That's called fleecing God, and who gets fleeced is you. That's like, God, if you're speaking to me, let a mockingbird be flying outside, upside down in my window, whistling Dixie, and I'll know it's you. It's just stupid. You, you can't manipulate God, and you don't put conditions on what God's up to. And so just don't do that. Don't pray like that. Don't ask God, I'm going to do, this is going to happen, and I'll take it as a sign. You're just making stuff up, so, and you set yourself up for hurt. So here comes the guy. He buys the tractor. He drives off. I come in the house. I tell Sister Jill, baby girl, you ain't got to worry about this thing is done. And I meant it. 
I said, you can go on low, start buying boxes. We out of here. The Lord has finally, after six years, just to deliver us from this hell. And uh, so it didn't happen. I'm out there on the zero turn one day because the man done took my tractor. And so I got a zero turn out there that I'm mowing the orchard. And I get a call from a banker, mortgage guy here in Val Austin. Jennifer loves me so much, she just didn't have the heart to call and tell me that the deal had crashed again. And right before they go to closing, I don't know whether you know this or not, now, if they tell you you're good and then it takes you six weeks to get the house and right before they close, they're going to run another check on you. And if you went and charged up a bunch of stuff, you're in trouble. Okay? So just learn that when you're going to buy something, all right? Buy your furniture after you get in the house, not before. But it wasn't, that wasn't the deal with this guy. They, <laughs> they run a check. I'm going to start preaching after a while, but I, I just want to talk a little bit. But they run, a, they run a check on this guy right at the end, you know, and then that, this, this banker guy who I did not know, he called me, and he said, Jennifer Strachner, uh, Ms. Young asked me to call you. She just didn't have the heart to tell you. He said, I'm sorry to tell you this deal's not going to go through. We're not going to be able to sell him the house, close with him. And we found out that he still owns a piece of property that we didn't know, and we missed it on the first go-round, but we caught it this time, and it's, I'm just sorry to tell you it's not going to happen. I can't tell you how crushed I was. After six years, I thought this thing was done. We was finally going to get some of the bleeding stopped. didn't happen. Now, I'm not proud of this part, and I'm not going to go into details, but I got really angry at God. And be my, myself, owned, and I've been preaching now for a couple of decades, and I had made the statement from the pulpit that I had settled the case in the courtroom of my heart that God is good. Okay? And I had closed that case. That was a big lie, but I didn't know it was a lie. I was about to find out. But when that guy called me, and I had to walk in that house one more time and look at her face. We got boxes in there, y'all. We, we, in our mind, we gone. Now, it just it didn't happen. I told God everything I wanted to tell him that you ain't supposed to tell him on that zero turn. And, that's, and, and, and I'm, I'm serious about it, and I'm, I'm sad to tell you that, but I, I really talked to him rough. <laughs> I told him he wasn't good, and I didn't want to hear it. Now, I'm his preacher, okay, but this is what I, I said. Now, I know how much I love my kids. And if I was able to help them and see them in the pain that you have watched me be in for six years, and I had the ability to help them, I would help them. Now, what am I saying with that? I'm telling God I'm better than him. I'm telling God I'm better than him. Because I'm his kid. He won't help me. This is all in my head. But... And, and, and so once that happened, I, I really did. I, I really talked God rough, and I, I, I hate for you to have a recording of that. And, I, and this is going to sound stupid, and I'm not trying to be funny. I expected a lightning bolt because <laughs> that's who I thought he was. I figured if you talked to him like I did, he, well, I mean, you fit to catch one. And I didn't even care right then. I'm not make, take your best shot. Make it count because I, mean, I, I don't understand nothing no more about anything. And I I couldn't even go in the house to talk to her. I went all I just went down in the woods to that prayer cabin. We caught prayer cabin. I went down there and just hung out. Of course, I didn't feel like praying. You know, cussing, yeah, praying, no. And I just hung out for a while. I'm saying, like, well, you know, really, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm like, I'm still alive. I always kind of thought in my heart now that I look back. The reason God didn't do nothing, number one, he, he's not that God. He's not a vindictive, punitive God. He knows we're but flesh. 
But the other thing God knew was I wasn't talking about him. Because the God I had in my mind was not the true and living God. That was a made-up religious God that I thought was punishing, vindictive. I thought the reason I'm going through this hell, God's paying me back. I'm reaping what I've sowed. Maybe I made some bad choices. God's just let me. I made the bed. He's going to let me lay in it. God's trying to teach me something. Uh, I'm like, how long does a guy have to go through pain? How, long, how much do I have to suffer? How much money do I have to lose? Uh, because before all this happened, I was coming up on 50 years old, and I'm not saying this in a bragging way. We had worked at that, and, and I didn't owe, I, all I owed was less than $20,000 on my, on my house, and I'd be done. My goal had always been by the time I got 50, I would, know, I would owe no man anything but love. <laughs> and I was working that plan, and, and I was on course. But, it, but then I made some decisions, and it just didn't go that way. And I felt like my whole world caved in. I remember one night, my wife, you know, she's always trying to be positive. Don't you can't stand people like that? It's always positive. <laughs> Don't they get on your nerves? And uh, she said, I remember I was walking out the, the back door there, and, and uh, I was just hurting. And I was just hurting bad. And, and she said, the Lord's going to help us. And then I looked at her with all the ferociousness in my heart, and I said, let me tell you something. I said, he might be helping us on other stuff, but I said, he ain't lifting the blank finger to help us financially. Best I can tell, we on our own. That's exactly what I said, and I meant it, and I slammed the door behind me. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with you listening to, you know, country music or, or classical or whatever, but I had just, as my habit, I had never done that. I just had never really cared that much about any of that, and I just never, I couldn't have told you who was singing what. I turned into a country music freak during those days. I would go back on, we had a pool out back. I'd go sit outside. We lived, now we didn't have no houses close to us. I'd crank up the country music just as loud as I wanted to crank it. I'd sit out there and, and, and just try to zone out. I would have to come to church on Sunday and preach to y'all and tell you how good God was and how he's going to help you. And, and, and that made me feel more like a hypocrite than anything because I felt like I'm telling y'all something about God that he ain't doing for me. So I mean, I just, I just, you know, and if I had been in a position, I would have probably just, you know, hung it all up right there. I was hurting. I was confused. I mean, and I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like going to church. I had to come because I'm your pastor. So I showed up. At least I did that. And see, you didn't even know it when I was going through it. And, 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 and I was just really, I, I was just, I was messed up. And around that, you know, when it got like that, and my wife was, you know, she was worried about me. Because she, she knows me better than anybody. I remember she called my oldest son back here, Justin, and he's standing back there now. And he, she called him. She, I think it was Justin. You go home, and she said, uh, son, I'm worried about your daddy. She said, I ain't never seen him act like this. I wasn't mean to her or anything, but I was disconnected. I was hurting. I was confused. I was surviving. And, 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 and that's a dangerous place to be when you're like that. Um, so uh, she, she didn't know. What, all, she, all she could do was pray for me. I didn't want to talk about it. I, 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 didn't, want, I didn't want to talk about nothing. All I want to do is try to get through this pain. I'm not praying to God because I don't feel like it's doing no good, especially when it comes to finances. So I don't know what to do. And it took me a few days, a few weeks, 
when I went back to that cabin and I, and I finally got where I kind of calmed down a little bit inside and I told God, I said, God, I've been preaching for you for a couple decades now. And I said, I lied when I told you that I had settled the case of your goodness because obviously I don't think you're good. And I told you such. And I said, I'm sorry for talking to you like that. Uh, but all I'm going to say to you, Father, is I got something really bad wrong here, theologically. And I need you to help me. I'm telling y'all, when I said that, that began the journey that I've been on for 12 years. And God began to open up his heart to me and show me the real him, not the religious him. And, and he showed me that he was nowhere near the God that I had accused him of being. And neither is the God that most people in this world, they, they, they don't see God as father, they see him as judge. They, they say stuff like God, you know, does this, he gives people cancer, even some people say he breaks people's legs, puts them in the hospital so he can talk to them. God does none of that. God's not angry with not one single person. There is nobody on the planet who has not already been totally forgiven by God right now. Of the six billion that are alive, six and a half, some say seven billion humans are alive right now, God has forgiven every one of them. Of the sin that they have not even committed yet, that's the Bible. Some of you are looking at me because you've never heard that before. You've been told that you have to do something to get God to forgive you. God don't need your permission to forgive you. He already did. How does God forgive sin? By the shedding of blood. When is the last time that God shed blood? When was that? Anybody remember? How many years ago was it? A couple thousand? Yeah, 2,000 years ago. God, through Christ, shed his blood on the cross. God wasn't lying when John the Baptist pointed at him and said, look at there, behold. In other words, look at him, behold him. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, of the world. Notice it didn't say takes away the sin of the people that ask him for forgiveness. Takes away the sin of the entire world. And he repeats that all through the New Testament. He says that Jesus Christ is the propitiation. We don't use that word, so we, we get confused by it. But it means the settling of the accounts, the, the, uh, the settling sacrifice, not only for our sins, talking about the Christians, but for the sins of the entire world. He said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but how many come to repentance? How many? All. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? Really? All men. God wants everybody because you're his kid. And I want to tell you something else startling that you probably have never heard, some of you. You're not out and you need to pray a prayer to get in. You always have been God's kid, and he has never forsaken you, and he's been with you through all your stuff. He's right there. And if you'll just calm down for a minute and think, you'll know that's true. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians that he said, that when it pleased the Lord to se who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me. What Paul said is, I found out something. He said that I didn't even realize that Christ has been in me the whole time. And I got all kinds of verses I can show you to back that up. 
maybe we'll read some if I can get back to an official sermon here, but I just feel like talking. John 14 says, he told his disciples in that chapter, he said, now the day's going to come, or the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he said, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, the Father's in me, and we are in you. He said, you, you, you're not clear on it now, but you'll know it. You'll see it. You'll see it. And, 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 and that's a startling thing for people. When Paul was running around killing Christians and doing all that junk that he was doing, um, Christ was in him. See, on the road to Damascus, it wasn't an external revelation that he got of Jesus. It was internal. Because Paul could argue with an external, but, but he couldn't argue with what went on off on the inside of him. He said, who are you, Lord? I mean, he got a revelation of Christ in him. Even while he was killing Christians and doing all that stupid stuff, Jesus was on the inside of him trying to make him awakened out of his religious darkness. Religion is the darkest darkness of them all. Because you think you're right. There's always been that lie that, and I've told you this, it's like we've all been taught. This is, most churches start out with, and, and denominations that I've been part of, start out, and in their statement of what they believe, they believe in the total depravity of man. And most all churches have it in their creed. We believe in the total depravity of man. You are totally de uh, depraved. Isn't that a wonderful place to begin? <laughs> hey, you're totally depraved. And, 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 and that God's angry. See, the reason God's not angry, and I can show you in Isaiah, is because God has taken away the sin of the world. What's he got to be angry about? Now, let me tell you this. Don't ever get confused because if you make poor decisions and you sin and you do things... You're hurting yourself. There's consequences for doing wrong. And I've told you, you know, and you probably get tired of hearing it. You know, my examples, but I can't make, I mean, I could, but I, it's too, I'm too tired. But if you, if you robbed a bank, how many knows that's a sin? If you walk in the bank, stick a gun in there, and you rob them, then, then that's a sin, and you're going to suffer for that. They're going to pursue you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to put you in jail. Now, you can pray, you know, and all you want to, but God's already forgiven you of that that sin, but, but Manhattan. So they're gonna, you're going you're gonna to be punished for that. But don't get in jail and come up with a jailhouse testimony. Well, the Lord sent me to, you sent yourself there. You did that. You did that. Spirit of stupid was on you, and you did it. And now you're suffering for what you did. But God's not the author of your pain. No hell that you're going through or pain is God behind it. He's not the author. He's right there with you. Now, you, you can make real bad decisions that God's not going to get in there and help. In other words, God's not going to help you rob the bank. But he's going to be in the bank with you. Do you understand the proof that God's with you and in you no matter what mess you're doing? The Apostle Paul understood it, and that's why he told the church in Corinth, he said, don't you understand that it, he said, that if you join yourself to the body of a harlot, you carry Christ with you. He said, so why join the body of Christ to a harlot? Is that in there, preachers? Is that verse in there, apostle? It's in there. So he said, if you go to bed with a harlot... You're taking Christ in that bed with you. 
He don't, he, Jesus don't go, whoa, I'm going to check out right here at the door. Y'all going to do you nasty, but I'm going to wait out here. I mean, he, he don't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Not really. You get what you get, man. You know what I'm saying? It's the Bible. So you have never been. The other thing the church traditionally in the West teaches is separation from God. Okay, you're separated from God. So they go this. This is an example. You know, so, so, so God's over here. You know, God's here. And so here's holy God. And here you are, a piece of tissue. And you need to figure out a way to get your sorry, sinful worm of a self that God can't hardly stand to look at you from cross over the gap and get over here without him killing you. And what this little area here is, is called religion. And so you can just come up with any way you want to to get across the gap. So you can have all kind of ways to get to God. But no religion is the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. Religion is not the way to God. Jesus didn't come to earth to start a religion called Christianity. He came to show us the Father. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father except by me. No man. He actually said, no one knows the Father. Nobody has ever seen the Father at any time. And so we've believed this lie of separation. And, and, and the preachers try to back it up. And they'll say, well, God's so holy, he can't look at sin and all and you, all you got to do is just read the Bible, you know that's bull. Because in the garden, Adam and Eve, and I know I mentioned it, and I can't think of new stuff because the Bible's pretty, you know, it's wrote out. I've got to keep talking about it. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right? Prior to that, God come walk in the cool of the evening with them, right? Hang out with them. Fellowship with them. Adam and Eve sinned. They believed the lie that they got to do something to be like God. They were already like God. Created in His image and likeness. All right, but Satan lied to them to get them to doubt God, doubt his goodness. Uh-oh, we're back to that again. Doubt his goodness, doubt God, and so then they believe the lie. Now, what, how did they change once they did that? Did God change? No, God never changes. He's always the same. God is love. God don't have love. God don't do love. God is love. So God still comes. Now, what are they doing? They're naked, they are afraid of God. They're creator. They're afraid of him now. They're hiding from his presence. But God still shows up. Apparently that was a lie. By the way, there's no such thing in the Bible that says God's a holy, can't look at sin. That's religious bull. It's also religious bull. Go back two Sundays ago when I preached on the cross that God turned his back on Jesus while he was dying. That's religious bull. God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing or keeping a record of men's trespasses against them. How, how, how has God turned his back on him when he's in Christ while he's on the cross? And the Holy Spirit was there as well. So you're, you've never been separated from God. Never. Religion did that to you so they could come up with a way to get you across there, and then they worked the system. What the Pharisees were doing, what the Sadducees were doing, they work a system. And most of us in this room are listening to me. You've all tried two or three at least or four or five different ways to try to get to God. But what God did, God knew you can't. And Jesus ain't coming here with the cross and filled in. Because mm -mm, God ain't never left you. 
God ain't never left you. This is where you've really always been the whole time. Right there. You've been there the whole time. I don't care if you felt like you was or not. God's always been there. I have to, I've asked you this. Uh, his name, Emmanuel, that's one of the names of God. What does that mean? I need you to say it real loud. God where? God where? With us? Why ain't his name like Jim Bob, uh, Billy Jack bumper sticker that means God's, you know, separated from you? God said, my name is I'm with you. I'll always be with you. I've always been with you. I've crawled into your mess with you. I've been right there with you. Didn't want you to, didn't, but I'm with you. And if you allow me, what I'll do with your mess is I will bring redemption. And that's why we wear crosses, I said, around our neck and in our jewelry, because now we have taken something that it was the most heinous, diabolical torture machine invented by the minds of darkened men. And Jesus crawled into that pain, into that mess, and he redeemed that symbol. It'd be like you walking around with a guillotine on your, on your necklace. What if you walked around and had a picture of a guillotine or, you know, a, you know, guillotine or a or a hangman's noose, or, or, you know, electric chair. People would go, man, you man, you look sick. Can I tell you that the cross is worse, worse than all of those? The worst thing ever. And yet, nobody thinks nothing about you going around wearing it. Oh, your necklace is so pretty. Man, it's a picture of a killing machine. Not only a killing machine, a torture machine. What happened? God turned it into a memorial and a monument of his grace. And now we look at it as a symbol of hope that there is nothing so dark that God won't crawl up there on it for you to save you, to come after you. And, that, that, and, and, he, and he done that. And he's always there. Everything that God ever does, if you know this about his nature, he is a redeemer. So this is what you need to understand about God. So my, my understanding had to go through a radical transformation, and I, I, I'm still not, you know, I've arrived but, man, I tell you what, I know a lot more today than I did 12 years ago about him. I want to tell you, I've been on a journey, and I have loved the fire out of these past 12. I survived the first, you know. I got born again when I was 12 years old, got away from God. Now, my denomination told me you was lost. You could get saved five or ten times if you wanted to. You don't get saved. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But, you know, I come back to God at 19. I ain't come back. God was with me the whole time. And now I look back, when, when, I was not, when I was 17, 18, 19, and, and you know, some of y'all ain't old enough, you know, but when I'd come to Valdosta to Grego's Disco, anybody remember Grego's here in Valdosta? Oh, Jennifer, you better get your hand down, girl. <laughs> they had that light up floor, you remember that floor light up? Man, I'd be breaking it down in there, boy. You talking about, I'm, I'm the first one on the floor and the last one to get off, tell them the truth, Jill. That's one thing that attracted it to me. <laughs> anyway, I would leave Valdosta, go back to Cook County where I lived in, and I would ride by the church where I got born again at 12, so just, you know, where I awakened to Jesus, and I would just look at that cross lit up. They had a big cross lit up on that building. 
And I would just burst into tears by myself, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I, why would I do that? Why, why, why would I do that? If I'm separated from him and away from him, why would I do that? If you were separated from him, do you, the Bible, and I can show you this in Scripture, but if Jesus ever really separated from humanity, you, you would be, you'd cease to exist. It says all things are held together by him. There's nothing that is made that was not made by him and for him. In him you live, move, and have your being. If he removed himself from you, you would, you would cease being. And look at you sitting in church. What kind of nutcase would sit in the church to even think about a God who's not on the, already on the inside of you? He's the one. Come on, man. The thing I missed about all this that kind of opened it up to me, and I waited years to start preaching it. I lived it out in my life for years before I ever opened my mouth to you about it. And God changed my view of him and which changed my view of myself which changed my view of you which changed my view of creation and the world the only thing I'm sad about now is I wish I had another hundred years in front of me to let people know God's not the God that they introduced me to he's not vindictive, he's not punitive he, 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 he doesn't do that stuff he's not a sadist he has no pleasure in people's pain. He, he doesn't do that. He's not the Godfather. He's Father God. He don't send tornadoes, hurricanes, floods. He didn't send Katrina to New Orleans because they had strip joints. He don't break legs. He don't drown people in Houston to get a, the attention of the rest of the people. God's trying to say something. God ain't saying nothing. You understand that storms don't mean God's behind them. I watched the weather this morning. They said a hurricane's going to be heading up this way. I'm going to turn it myself. It's not going to mess up my place. Y'all do what y'all do. But when it bears down on the young farm, I'm going to send it off left or right. It shall not come nigh my dwelling. Now you think I'm being religious? I'm not. Because I learned it from my Lord. So when he's trying to cross Sea of Galilee and get one side to the other, and a storm tries to drown them, then he rebukes the storm. If his father, God, is sending the weather all the time, and he's sending the storm, what is his son, who says he don't do anything lest he see the father do it, he don't say anything lest he hears the father say it, what is he doing rebuking a storm that his father doesn't send? That would mean the son is working in opposition against the will of the father and a house divided against itself cannot stand. There's storm. The devil's called the prince and the power of the air. You know, whether you know it or not, he messes with weathers and stuff. Well, it was just their time to go. Well, you know, I know they were only five, but, you know, the Lord needed to pick a flower for the bouquet table of heaven. You know, don't question God. He never makes a mistake. Can you imagine stupidity like that being said at funerals by preachers that should quit preaching until they know who they're talking about? 
and the pain that they inflict upon suffering family to, to, to allude to and, and emphatically state that God is behind the death of a five-year-old child somehow. I have preached for 34 years funerals with crazy, theologically confused and messed up preachers and have to get up there with three or four of them and follow their mess while they accuse God of murder. It's horrible. And if people die and if it's always somehow, you know, in the sovereign will of God, why did Jesus raise anybody from the dead then? You tell me that. I thought if you died, it's just your time. Well, he, they died. Must have been their time. Must not have been their time because here comes Jesus behind it and brought them back. Twelve-year-old boy on the way to be buried. Jesus just happened to run into the funeral. They leaving town. He coming in. Jesus did not attend many funerals, but the ones he did attend did not conclude in the fashion that they had been concluding in. He stopped the funeral bearers, raised the 12-year-old boy, gave him back to his mama, who was a widow. She needed him. They turned around. Funeral man didn't get paid. They went back to the house. He raised Lazarus from the dead, not to put on the show because that's his friend and they were hurting and it wasn't his time. Something come to try to take his life. The last enemy that shall be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. Jesus conquered it. But he never willed it for anybody to ever suffer. Death. Not from the beginning. You have to understand, if you're going to start on this journey, that God is a triune God, the Trinity. You've heard of the Trinity, and I've, I've devoted a whole sermon to it recently. In Genesis 1, it, God says, let us make man in our image. I told you where it says, in the beginning, God. The word translated, you understand, you're, you're reading an English Bible translated from the Hebrew. You, you, you can receive that, right? So the word God there is Elohim, which is plural. So it literally reads, in the beginning, God's, plural, created the heavens and the earth. Because God is three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yet to refer to God as anything other than one is doing a disservice and almost blasphemous to the relationship that the Trinity has one with another. Can you receive that? So let us make man in our image. Right out the gate, first chapter of the Bible, where we see the triunion and the communion and fellowship of God. You see that? And then, of course, we get over into chapter uh, 3, and we got the enemy showing up and lying to him. And now God says, look at man. He has become as one of us, discerning good and evil. Now, God said, I'm not going to have my creation to be in this condition. I'm not going to allow this to happen. I refuse to allow it. So therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send man out of the garden. When, and, and then the King James used the word God drove them out. We, we get this image of God beating their back with a whip, you know, being punitive. God wasn't punitive at all. God said, look at man, he's become like us. Who's us? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Father, Son, Spirit. He says, like us. He said, so unless he puts forth his hand in each of the tree of life and stays in this fallen condition forever, 
He said, I'm not going to allow this to happen. He said, so he removed man from the garden. He placed cherubims with angels there to keep the way to, not from, but to the tree of life. God said, I'm not having this. And by the way, Jesus Christ is not plan B for God. God didn't, you know, throw man in the garden, turn around and make a sandwich and look around and say, oh my goodness, look, I didn't see that coming. The Bible says that in Ephesians, that, that we were chosen for adoption as sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. Is that in the book or not? That means you and I were chosen to be sons and daughters of God before the foundation, before there was an Adam and Eve, before there was an earth. You got to think on that a little bit. It's amazing. So you got to see God as a relational God. And this is, that's the big caveat that I always missed. I didn't see God. When I saw Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the evening in Genesis, I only saw three people. I only saw three. I saw one singular, alone God walking with two people. And I missed it that they were five. Five, five number grace for you numerological people. You don't think the Father and Son and Spirit were there? You don't think they're going, oh, I'm tired. I don't think I'm going to go down there and walk with them today. Y'all gone. I'll catch y'all later. I mean, what, what, you, you don't think it there? God's always there. So right out of the gate, God has always been relational, and that's the part I missed. So the oldest book of the New Testament chronologically is the book of John. I know you thought it was Revelation, but it's not. After John got delivered off of Patmos as an old man off of that island called Patmos, I'm sorry I'm having to hold this water in my throat dry for some reason. Y'all must be making me nervous. But he gets off of Patmos. He's 90. Most theologians believe he's 90, somewhere between 93 and 95 years old. And there he sets about to write his gospel. Now, he's inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit. Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's every word is inspired by God, by the Spirit. But John does not start like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke start, which is not wrong, but they start with the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem, Judea, and all that. John don't do that. John at 93, 94, 95 years old has seen something and knows something, and he said, I want y'all to get this man. And so John starts his prologue, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital. In the beginning was the Word. He's not talking about a Bible. He's not talking about a bunch of words on a paper. He's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the word with there, and it's, it's, it's strong throughout the New Testament writing of John in particular. It is a Greek word. The New Testament was translated into English from Greek, some Arabic, but mainly Aramic, not Arabic, Aramic, and some, but mostly uh, Greek. So the Greek word that is translated with here is the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S. And pros uh, does not mean like, you know, let's you know, go with me to the, you know, to the supermarket. Mm -mm. The word pros means you're turned facing each other face to face. So listen to this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God, and the word was God. 
You know, in John 14, when Jesus says, they told him to show us the Father, he's like, man, you, you guys still ain't got this. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. But then he said, no man, he, they, Jesus said, where I'm going, you know the way. They said, how can we know the way? And that's where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what he said, listen to me. And he said, no man cometh to the Father except by me. Now where it says, and he, no man cometh to, that's the same word pros. Exact same word. So what he says is, no man can come face to face with the Father except through me. Same word. John has it strong throughout his whole gospel. But John starts out saying in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Now he says that there's nothing that exists that was made that was not made by him. Colossians says everything that made has their, it's held together by his Word. That's how it consists. That's how it continues to function. It's because God's with you. And then, then down in verse 14 of John 1 it says, and the Word became flesh. It doesn't say the word became human, anthropos. It says the word became flesh, sarks. This is for you scholars that need to know what the original language, I'm not trying to impress anybody, but see, when a Christian thinks of flesh, oh, I'm sorry I said that, man, I was in the flesh. Man, I'm sorry I did that, I was in the flesh. Nothing good comes from the flesh. Flesh has no, see, that's all negative connotations, but Jesus became that. It didn't say the word became human, that Jesus became human. It said he became flesh. What, what is that? That's, the, that's darkened man. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, now their perception of God has radically changed. Instead of being loving and hanging out with him, now they're scared of him and they're hiding from him. And listen to me, all of us have been hiding from God ever since. We hid our faces, the prophet said, as it were, from him. We hid from him. We, we've been hiding from him ever since. The thing I want you to understand is that relational part of God. See, I knew that the Bible says God is love, but I didn't know God is relationship. I didn't know that, but I do know it now. And I want to tell you something. You have always been in the circle. You've always been included. Let me tell you something. Else. I, got to, I, got to go, I got to finish this up for time. Let me, let me tell you this. The thing about, that I love about John, John, that's the, this, chronologically, it's the oldest book in the New Testament of all the, all the books. And what John does is he rolls right out of chapter 1 and he puts a miracle in his gospel that Matthew, Mark, or Luke never mentioned. And it's in chapter 2 and begins in verse 1. And it is the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine. Okay? Now why would he do that? Why would he jump right out of the word become flesh and dwell among us? And, and so now we go right into this. And all he did in chapter 1 was talking about the the eternal relationship of Father, and I miss that. I, I miss that. I, I, I grew up in a church that said we believe in the Trinity. We believe in that our God is three manifested, you know, in one, you know, one, three manifestations that yet one. But the Bible also says that me and Jill are one. How many people do you see when you see us? I thought it said we're one. How many people do you see when you see me and Jill? It's not hard. This is not hard math. I want to ask you again. How many people, when me and her walk in this church, how many people do you see? You go, there's two people, don't you? Yet the Bible said we're one. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all don't know how to count. With God, one plus one plus one equals one. Yet there's three. 
So when you're looking at Adam and Eve hanging out with God in the garden, you got to see all three, or you're doing a disservice. Be like me, and you don't say, well, I don't see but one. No, there's two of us, yet we're one. Now, that's the only relationship it describes like that, uh, that we have the possibility of oneness. And I can tell right now, and I'm a, don't burn too many brain cells trying to figure that out. I see some of you really wrinkling up your foreheads trying. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, just believe that God is, that's what the Bible says. I told you when Isaiah, uh, what is Isaiah 6, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up in his train. In other words, his presence filled the temple. And I heard the voice of those that circled, those angelic seraphim beings are crying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, why they giving three of them? Why not just say holy? Why ain't got to go three of them? Because he's doing holy for each one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And further proof is just keep reading the same chapter. And he says that he, Isaiah the prophet, the, the, you know, uh, he saw the Lord. And, and the Lord said to him, who shall go for us? And whom shall we Send. Am I right? The triune God. So I miss that part of the relational aspect of God, that relationship is just as important to God as anything else. God doesn't do relationships. He is relationship. And so as further proof, God, God won't do anything without mine and your participation because when, when, when God forever linked himself to humanity, you know when Jesus, when the word became Jesus, that was an eternal decision on his part. And that was the way to get into Adam to save Adam. He was called the last Adam, and Jesus who knew no sin became sin. And he is forever the God-man. He is, he is human and not fake human. He's, he's human, but he's God. And that's the way he was able to link us in because he refused because we were always included. So the reason that we got water being turned into wine, listen to this. So Jesus and his disciples, they go, you know, in, in the ending of chapter 1, he starts calling his disciples, calling Nathaniel. He calls these guys to him. They go, they get invited to a wedding. It's actually some of Jesus' kin people, you know, it's getting married. So he goes to this wedding, and Jesus' mama, Mary, comes up to him and tells him about a problem. She says, they have no wine. And so Jesus at first seems to be, you know, actually he says, woman, and he wasn't being disrespectful. He said, woman, you know, what do I have to do with you? My time has not yet come. And uh, yet, I guess right after he said that, his time came because he, he uh, and, and the reason it did, because his mama just ignored that. She, like, she looks at the servant and says, whatever he tells y'all to do, do it. He like, go, mama. You go. You just egg me, and you, you, you know. So she's, she's, she's got faith that he can. In other words, she got a problem. She said, I know you can handle this, son. So he looks at, listen, listen to me now, don't miss this. He tells the servants, they got water, uh, clay water vessels, jars, but they each hold 30 gallons of water. There's six of them. He tells the servants to go and draw water and fill. That's 180 gallons of water. You ever fill a five-gallon bucket water and try to move that? 180 gallons. And the servants, I don't know, you know, what, I mean, the servants could have gone, man, why have we got to do that? 
Listen, listen to me. If you have the power to turn water into wine, why do you need them? Just, just, just go Abra H2O and what water appear. Why, why you need them to participate? Because if you if God listen, if God does something without your participation, He's actually denying the, the, the fellowship and the union, and He's saying you don't count. So He refuses. There is no gift of miracles in the New Testament. There's a gift of working of miracles. And if you're going to see miracles, you're going to have to participate with God. I don't really like the phrase, God uses you. God's going to use you because God's not a user, nor is he an abuser. That don't mean nothing to most of us, but if you've pastored as long as I have, when you tell people God's going to use you, they've had people to use them, particularly in sexual uh, crimes and stuff like that. And when they hear used, God's going to use me, they already been used by a man or by a woman or by a drug dealer. or by some, and, and that's the last thing they want to be used by one more person, even if his name is G-O-D. So what we do, in a better word, is we get to participate with God. Now, Jesus is like this. Uh, hey, guys, we got a problem here. Uh, Mama wants me to handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm finna handle it, and I can handle it. And I'm going to turn water into wine, and, uh, but, but I need y'all to participate with me so we can get this done. They draw the water. Now, they put water in these 180 gallons, and it says, and now Jesus is looking at them. They have, you know, Je Jesus is not going to do it by himself. He, he, they're going to participate. So they draw the water and fill up the thing to the brim, it says. And now Jesus looks at them and says, you know, draw some out and carry it to the, to the master of the, of the feet, of the, of the wedding. When do you think that the water became wine? And listen, and in whose hands did it become wine in? You're right, the servants. So when they had faith in him and they put their dipper or whatever it was into the water and they drew it out, it instantly turned to wine. And not only wine, but the man said that's the best wine he ever drank. He said most people put out the good stuff to start with and the sorry stuff later, but you have saved the best to last. Come on, y'all. Why would Jesus do that? Because he's not going to move independent of you. He's not going to move independent of you. He did the same thing right out the gate in the garden. He just gets man on the dirt, Adam. And what he does, he's you got all this creation, the birds and the, and the bees, and he brings them to Adam. Go on, son, you name them. And whatever you call them, that's what they're going to be. Why would God do that? He's the one that made the rhinoceros. Let him call him that. No, God called him a rhinoceros. Adam called him a rhinoceros. A platypus. Go, Adam. Whoa, brother. A rhinoceros. How you make up a word like that? Rhinoceros. Platypus. But I think as the time went on, I think Adam got tired. And then he got a blackbird. <laughs> Bluebird. <laughs> Redbird. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Not much thought in that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm crazy why do that because God's not going to do it independent of you his creation once he did creation God forever will refuse to be Lord without your participation hear that statement once creation occurred God, from that moment forward, has refused 
to do anything without your involvement. I, I go all day on this. People, you got a bunch of people hungry, man. They've been out there. You think I preached long? Jesus preached three days straight. They didn't even get a supper break. Three days. Now they're out there, and the disciples says we're in the wilderness. There's no Walmart close, no KFC. These people are hungry. Let's send them away. Jesus said they need not go away. The disciples said, we, you know, we don't have any place to buy food for them. He didn't say we had no money. He just said we ain't got no place to buy food for this many people. There were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I want to tell you that's sad sometimes to be a woman or a child and not be counted. But I want to tell you, they might not counted you in that culture, but God counts you. Women and children matter. You're counted. God knows where you are and what you're going through. Jesus said, send them not away. They're looking at him totally shocked. He said, you feed them. He didn't say, I got these guys, I'll feed them. He said, no, you feed them. They said, Lord, we, we've searched. They, there, there's just a kid here that's got his meal. He's got five loaves and two small fish. That's all we got. Jesus says, enough. And there goes your sermon title, Little is Much, when God's in it. That's been preached a million times. <laughs> so Jesus took the bread and he looked up. See, when you don't have but just a little bit in your hand, the devil wants you to look at that and think you don't have much. I don't have much talent. I don't have much money. I don't have much this. I don't have much that. I'm, I'm, I'm just a piece of trash. I'm just. Stop looking at yourself. Start looking up. Look at him, the author, your creator. So it said he, and it says this in the Bible, Jesus took the bread and the fish and he looked up to heaven. Because that's how things are going to change if you start looking up. Quit looking down, look up. And he said, Lord, thank you. Jesus wasn't putting on no pious, mocking, made-up prayer. He wasn't trying to be churchy. He said, Lord, I, I thank you for this. Thank you for these loaves and fishes that this lad has given. Y'all know they didn't jack that lad up and beat him down and take his food from him, right? They said, can we have that, man? You know, the kid gave it to him. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave to his, listen, disciples. Now, some people get the image that Jesus piled up Captain D's fish and chips over here and that they just come up here. It's just stupid. He said he took those five loaves and two small fish and he broke it and he gave it to each of his disciples. He commanded the people, he said, tell them to set in companies of 50. Because when you got eight, 10,000 people, you got you a chaos and a mass. So he said, we need to bring some order to this confusion. Tell them to set in companies of 50. Be easier to serve them that way. So they strung out in that valley in companies of 50. And, and so they're sitting out there, and the disciples, the, you know, Jesus breaks off the bread and, and the fish, and he gives it to each of those 12 disciples' hands. He says, now you go feed them. They don't have baskets. They don't have backpacks. They don't, they're not riding out there on four-wheelers with a trailer. They've just got what they got in their hand. And they go to 50 people, and they start handing them fish and bread. And in whose hands does this multiplication miracle really happen in? The disciples' hands, not his. They're getting to participate, just like they did with the water. I'm going to turn water to wine. Y'all want, want to be part of this? Participate. I'm going to feed these 5,000 men, not count women and children. I'm, I'm going to feed them. Y'all want to participate in this? And the miracles happen. And I can go on, on, on through the Scripture. And that's how it happens with us today. 
The Holy Spirit's not called the doer. He's called the helper. One of his names is helper. The helper is not the one that does it. The helper is going to help you do what you can't do. You can't turn water into wine, but he can. You can't fix problems, but he can. You can't feed 8,000, 10,000 people, but he can. But he's going to do it through you. And if he did it without your involvement, he's saying that you're not in the circle. You're not in the communion and the relational aspect of who we are. But God says, I will never do anything without your involvement because you're included and you always have been and you always will be. Isn't that something? Stand to your feet. Now, we would see a lot more stuff. Somebody said, well, Brother Dale, I'm, I'm surprised. We don't, I mean, I, why don't we see more miracles? Because ain't nobody working them. I mean, you, you, you're going to have to be able to participate with the Lord. I'm not talking, you, I mean, the Lord's got some great ideas. And when he's confronted with a problem, let me tell you something what I believe. I believe everybody at that wedding and from that, in that whole village, you know what I believe that they knew? I believe that they knew who those servants was that filled them water jars. From that day forward, everybody knew who they were. And I believe they lived the rest of their life talking about, man, y'all remember that? Man, we got to participate in the Lord with that. Remember that water got turned to wine? We, 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 you know, we, we the ones that helped fill up the water jars. That's not a hard job to do. God's not going to ask you to do something. That, that we, 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 got, we got to participate. I love how that reads. In, you read John 2, man, and it says that, that they didn't know where the they didn't know where the wine came from, but that, and it puts them parentheses in your Bible, but it says, but the servants knew where it came from. They knew, because they got to reach and dip water and watch it go to the greatest wine that had been made, and they served each person. It was a problem. So, you know, like me today, I, my heart's like, Lord, man, can I participate with you today? What are you doing today, Lord? Who's got a problem like no wine? And that no wine can be like, but there's, a, there's, a, you, there's something in your life that you don't have none of, and you want it and you need it. It may not be wine, but I have nobody that loves me. I have nobody that cares for me. I have no health in my body. I have sickness. I have no money. I have no friends. I have, you see, you can go on. You, you, you know you. I don't know you. You know you. But what is it that you don't have any of that you need? What problem is it? Can I tell you that it was the Lord's heart when he saw those people? The disciples said, let's just send them away. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, we will not send them away. Listen. Because he said, if they try to walk back home that hungry, he said, they will faint along the way. And that word faint there actually means to die. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave them in this condition. And it was a natural belly physical thing. But his heart was moved to meet that need in your life. You know he cares about your light bill, your car bill, your house. He cares about what you care about. He cares about what, you know, whether you got biscuits and gravy. I mean, he cares about it. And, it. and it's not his heart to see you go away and faint for lack of that in this journey called life. He wants you to have it. You and I get to be participants to help that miracle happen in people's lives. Sometimes it happens because we tell them the truth about how good God is. It is the goodness of God, the Bible says, that leads men to repent. And the word repent don't mean cry to altar and tell God all the sins you've done because he already knows and already forgiven you. He don't even want to talk to you about it. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia. 
and it means change the way you think. I'm ending with this statement. Listen, Isaiah 55 says this. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And as my ways are not yours and my thoughts are not yours, so much higher than the heavens are my thoughts and my ways than yours. So listen, if that's true, and it is, if God's thoughts and ways are not ours, then somebody's got to change the way and the thoughts and it's not God that needs to change, it's us. So you're going to have to go through a radical change of how you think about God and yourself and others. And that's what's called repentance. It's called repentance. The church has made repentance with somebody angry pointing the finger and said, you rotten sinner, you know, get down here and use up petitions and cry and tell God how sorry you are. All that's religion. And it keeps people in religious jobs. And they work the system. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees hated Jesus because he blew up their system. He said, I come with new wine, going in new wine skins. Jesus said, I know I'm not from the tribe of Levi, and I'm not even qualified to be a preacher or in the ministry because I'm of the tribe of Judah. But I come to announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's what he came to bring and to give. He didn't come to bring grace. He came to be grace. He didn't come to give you peace. He came to be your peace. He didn't come to show you the way. He came to be the way. He didn't come to tell you the truth. He came to be your truth. He didn't come to give you life. He came to be your life. I pray you see that today. Would you bow your head and let's just pray and I'll dismiss you. Father, thank you for loving us. I pray that every person will come to the awakening and the realization of Christ in them. Do for them and us what you did for the Apostle Paul before he was an apostle. Reveal Christ in us, not just to us. To us is external, but in us is internal. Nobody can argue with that. Let them see that you've always been there, always been with them, always been for them. From always you've been there. Even through their most difficult times, you were there. And Father, I pray that you would awaken us to that truth that Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen? Hey, I'm standing down here. My elders will help me if we get a lot of people who want prayer. But if you want personal prayer, they want to just talk or meet, shake hands, do that. God bless you. Go enjoy your day.